This episode was paid in full by DTN Progressive Farmer. The 2024 Consumer Electronics Show attracts leading tech and the people who love it from all around the world, and agriculture is no exception. But what did some of the leading names in farm equipment show off at one of the world's biggest technology events? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Tech aficionados and leading brands from around the globe descended on Las Vegas January 9th through 12th to see and show off their latest tools and toys at the 2024 Consumer Electronics Show. Artificial intelligence and autonomous machines were just the beginning, with more than 25 categories of technology represented, covering everything from sustainability to cryptocurrency. DTN's Dan Miller was at the show to cover the agricultural tools on display from John Deere, Kubota, Bobcat, and more. He'll share what he saw and discuss what he learned from the companies themselves about what might be in store later this season and beyond for growers interested in exploring the cutting edge of equipment technology. Plus, he'll cover Deere's newly announced partnership with SpaceX's Starlink to provide connectivity to more farmers in the U.S., and clue us in on the latest on pricing, electric tractors, data aggregation, and so much more. We'll cover it all right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Here at the beginning of a busy season of tech and equipment shows, Progressive Farmer Senior Editor Dan Miller joins us to share what he's learned so far. Dan? You are freshly back from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Give us just your experience being there. What was it like? Yeah, well, when you think of Dan Miller, you think of techie. So I was out at the CES here in in, in early January with 130,000 of my friends from around the world. And I think the thing about the CES, we're out there to see John Deere, for example, Bobcat, for example, but beyond those you, you walk around going, I wonder if they've ever thought a solution for this or that. And they have. There is just so much there, just so much to understand and so much to see. Um, everything from the, they have these large loungers of some sort that you can sit inside and it massages your legs and your backs and your arms. And you can listen to music if you want. And you think, okay, that's crazy to be at the CES. Those things are full all the time. There's lines of people waiting to get into those things. So technology comes in all shapes and forms. There's a lot of good stuff there. I think two things I came away with, like I said, John Deere was there, Bobcat was there, 
is AI for sure. And then uh, Bobcat had this really interesting, I don't know what you would call it, like a, a, an interesting technology attached to his machinery. And it's all around this whole idea of glass technology. LG is one that's working on it. Samsung, I believe, is another one that's working on it. It's hard to explain, but if you think about a Bobcat and you're looking out the front window of that Bobcat when you're operating, this glass technology is a separate kind of an insert in that glass area there. And you can see through the glass, but you can also see where you're at, what you're doing. You can get machinery, what's going on with the machinery, what's going on around the Bobcat through cameras and things like that. If there's an area that you can't quite see as an operator, there's a camera there that can see it. So all that's displayed on this glass and it's pretty cool. And you can tint the glass to where you can see through it relatively easily, or you can darken it where you, if you don't need to see, you can just look at that. You can move things around on the piece of glass. It, it, it's similar in a way to a heads-up display. They, that was popular in cars for a while. And in the military, you, you'll hear about heads-up displays. That's a projection. That's a projection from, say, a dashboard up onto your windshield. This is actually there. This is a transparent glass with all these things in it. There's TV applications and entertainment applications, but for Bobcat, I thought that was really interesting. That really uh, was something that stuck out for me. Talk to us a little bit, just to double back, you mentioned John Deere was there. They were focused maybe a little bit more on AI. What kind of AI stuff was John Deere showing off? I know John Deere obviously had a lot of shows all the time, but their presence at CES seems a little bit more focused on the maybe a little bit further future their vision for the future of agriculture. So talk a little bit about, yeah, what Deer had to present. Yeah, Deer's been there since I think it was 2019 that they first came and they were an oddity at that point. What is John Deere doing here? They're putting in these immensely large machines and stuff, but I think they've become part of the show. They're always a, a high attraction venue there. I had the opportunity to speak with uh, uh, Jamie Hinman. He's their chief technology officer this year. And so we did a pretty long interview uh, with him. And I, I think a couple of things I pulled away from there was there's always talk among farmers about this technology being affordable. And Deer is doing this thing towards, but they call it a solutions as a service. So they charge for a particular technology. Maybe it's sea and spray and they charge so much an acre. I've heard $4. I don't know if that's regionally $4 an acre. I don't know if that's a regional charge or if that's what they charge everywhere. I suspect it's, it's going to be different everywhere. So that's something that I think what Jamie was saying is that the whole advantage of this is you can keep the hardware, keep the tractor, keep the sprayer, keep the combine and deer for the service will continue to update the technology. So you don't have to trade the tractor to get the technology. They can continue to update it. So farmers, they're going to be everywhere as any of us would be on paying for services. I talked to a couple of them, just randomly talked to a couple of farmers and they're all for it. They, they, they say, this is a way we can plug these technologies into our operations and we can see where they fit, where they don't. And in the end, not having to necessarily trade in a machine every year can be an advantage for them. So that was the one thing we talked about. The other thing was AI. And Jamie will say, he told me, he goes, look, AI, we're using it now. We're using it now in their, their autonomous tractor, see and spray, their spraying system. That's all autonomous. I think for him, what's really interesting, he called it a, a generative AI. And it's this whole idea around chat GBT, where you can, AI is really good at finding patterns and things. And so he says the challenge with farmer for farmers 
is they can collect so much data. And then how do you interpret that? What do you, at the end of the day, what do you walk away from when you looked at all this data? So it goes AI, recognizing patterns and all that. He thinks it'll be hugely beneficial to agriculture, to the farming community, as that comes more and more to the fore, that'll help surface insights uh, for growers. And, and, and so they can understand exactly what the data is telling them and then act on it. That's the AI tells you what it's seeing and then how do you act on it? And that those are the keys there. I want to circle back to that, the pricing question, because I think that is interesting, the kind of service model versus the kind of ticket price tag take home the whole piece of equipment for yourself. I'm curious whether you got a chance to talk at the show, or I imagine probably not too many farmers at the show, but, Mm -hmm. or elsewhere in your reporting about that trade-off. It like feels very obvious in terms of just like being able to try something out, that it'd be great to pay the service fee before you know for sure whether or not you want to make the investment. But is that how farmers are thinking about it? Would they, given all of the other implications and cash flow and how taxes work, do they also prefer the service model or are they more interested in buying a piece of equipment outright? I think it's a it's a wrinkle in their cost of production. I think the the couple that I talked to were, were, were all for it. The couple of farmers I talked to were all for the idea, the concept. Look, we all pay for services anymore, right? And, and for our entertainment, if nothing else. This gives them a chance, like you say, maybe to look at the technology, give it a try. They could run, see, and spray for a year and see if that's something they want to continue to invest in or not. As deer comes up with more and more autonomous things or equipment for tractors that that work through that autonomy landscape, they get a chance to try it out. And I think, to me anyway, the biggest benefit would be that they can update it, that it'll be updated, that while they're paying these fees, they'll get the updates and the service and the attention maybe from the deer techs that they they need to, to, to work through the field in the spring and fall. Before we move on from John Deere, not necessarily something that happened at CES, but there was another big announcement that came out of Deere this week about Starlink and some broadband updates. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it seems like our agriculture community is going to be excited about this. I would think that after about a year and a half worth of work on it, evaluating different systems and working with different uh, providers, Deere and SpaceX and its Starlink division have come together. Deere is going to start offering a a Starlink uh, service. Later this year, later this fall, on what they always say, a limited basis, which means they're, they're going to be testing it out with a larger group of farmers than they have been. And it kind of completes uh, the, the communication problem that farmers have. So a farmer has his piece of, say he has his tractor in the shop and he can upgrade there through a Wi-Fi system. He can upgrade the technology. Um, he's out in the field. And with a cellular connection, he can send data back and forth, send data to and receive data from uh, the, the, the deer operations center. But there's always those places where cellular doesn't work. Wi-Fi dies off real quickly. Cellular doesn't work. So Starlink's going to fill that in. Um, Deer's not saying that Starlink is a replacement for everything it does in terms of communications, but it's that third leg, for lack of a better analogy, that when you don't have cellular, you can tap into Starlink. So it really ought to be a pretty exciting thing for farmers, I think. And I know a question that is always there around technology, especially anything that has to do with software, which feels like a lot of new technology coming out these days is questions about data aggregation and kind of use of that data. You mentioned it a little bit with John Deere and their kind of focus on AI, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious whether you had any conversations there or recently about just the data aggregation question and how that's moving forward. 
It's a question. That's the thing. It's, it's a huge issue. When deer and the others, they talk about monitoring, say, a crop uh, by plant, uh, that deer has uh, invested in some technology that basically is a, a gene inserted to a, 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 a corn plant, for example, and machine going down there can read that little gene, that little thing tells the machinery what's going on with the plant, good, bad, or indifferent. But I think the number is there's 4 trillion corn plants in the United States, if somebody's counted them. And when you're collecting data from 4 trillion plants, if that happens, that's an enormous amount of terabytes. And I don't even know what numbers are beyond terabytes. It's a lot. It's a lot of technology. And, and, and I think what Deer was saying at CES too is, okay, how do you interpret that? How is it you're collecting good data and then you're turning that data around importantly, critically, can you act on that data? So that's where they're talking about AI being a tool. AI is a field of, of, of science and research as a tool to turn all that data into something that farmers can turn around and act on either next year or even in the same season. But it'll say that you need to get out there and do this, A, B, or C. And so that's where the value is going to come in. I want to ask as well, I know uh, maybe Deer is talking about this, maybe Bobcat, um, maybe some other folks at CES or elsewhere, but I'm curious about the kind of electric question and whether you saw or are seeing any kind of movement that 2024 might be a, a year when we see some advances on the electric side. Yeah, um, um, Bobcat, uh, their they're, they're, uh, loader and their but they, it's an articulated tractor. It's a small tractor for um, for vineyards and orchards and those kinds of things. Those are both power, electric power. Um, you're seeing it. There's a good amount of it out there. Monarch tractors, one out in California. There's some others that are uh, running off batteries. I think what people will tell you is for smaller tractors and smaller equipment, that electricity, electrical operations will work. Um, when you get into the large uh, tractors that you see across the Midwest, Jamie, for one, will tell you that the, the batteries are, probably would weigh more than the initial tractor. And if you try to do that. So I don't think anybody at this moment sees opportunity for electrical powered tractors of a size that Midwestern growers use. But for some other applications for vineyards and orchards, smaller operations, maybe even feedlots and dairies and those kinds of things, that that seems all very practical. So you, you do see a number of electric tractors out there. New Holland one introduced one last year based on the Monarch tractors technology. So it's coming out there. But as with, I guess I should add, but as with everything else, electric these days, it's how long is it going to run? You're, we're talking eight hours at most for most of these things. Sometimes maybe it'll split. The, the thing is, when you're talking about agriculture, say out West in California, they have a day, their workers have a day, an eight hour day. A piece of equipment that runs for eight hours is great. That, that fits into their system where it doesn't necessarily fit into a Midwest or Southern system where days can be much longer than that. Which also brings me to the other question when we're bringing in the kind of worker question and how long uh, a shift is of autonomy, because I am sure that is part of the the thinking there as well. Did Deer talk much about ad autonomy at this show or was that a, a larger part of the kind of agricultural conversation? I guess I didn't feel like they really did that this year. Their focus was on fiber production, cotton production and things like that. Let's just say there's some things coming that, that people will know about here and from some of these manufacturers, I think, here probably as the spring unfolds about autonomy and, and some of the things that's being done. But I think my, my coworker, Joel Richenberger, 
is writing a story for um, um, our February magazine, a cover story on autonomy, autonomous operations. And I don't want to give too much away about the story. It's Joel's to tell. But one thing I read in his story that I thought was real interesting is some of the companies where they were trying to put autonomy together with other technologies that, for example, would see weeds or be able to discern weeds and crops and those kinds of things. And they fell back. They felt the value of their technology is in that ability to discern a plant from a weed, a desirable plant from a weed. Autonomy wasn't quite there yet. So it's not that it's been a failure. I'm not saying that, but it's something that's still very much in play and, and manufacturers are still trying to figure out. One other question that I am sure at a consumer electronics show, especially farmers would be interested in learning about the kind of farmer facing part of the equipment. What is the cab like? What are the features that you can get installed in a tractor or a piece of equipment? Did Deere or some of these other manufacturers have much to say in terms of how fancy you can make your cab? You can make it fancy. What we did talk about, it's not so much what's in the cab. We talked about cab or no cab. And I think deer, what I got from Jamie is deer, they're not ready to do away with the cab at this point. Farmers, even with autonomous operations, they're convinced that farmers are still going to want to be in a cab. They still have to move the machinery, physically move the machinery from field to field. They can't just autonomously go down the road with no operator. So they're there. But I did see Bobcat has a test machine um, without a cab. Uh, It's called the Rogue 2. It's not a a product that they're going to sell anytime soon, if ever, but it's a technology test vehicle and it's cabless and they try out different systems and things on it. It's a pretty cool looking vehicle. I am drawing a blank now on the company that did it, but it was right across from the Deer exhibit. Their machines, like big, big scrapers and bulldozers and those kinds of things, they're cabless machines, autonomous machines. So yeah. It's out there. Those The question of cab, no cab, it comes up all the time. And I think it was Kay, several years back, did a display in New York at the Stock Exchange where they set up some cabless machines. So it's out there. I'm sure they all have them running in their back lot somewhere. But, but not ready for production just yet. I don't think so. I don't think so. What you're saying is obviously true. I mean, until we get to the day when I can say, I had a farmer tell me once that it was like, until we get to the day for mission planning. And what he met with mission planning was he, maybe overnight, he programs the the tractor and the planter to go out and plant these fields and the fuel, say, and the seeds and all the things that do show up. And there's a way to autonomously operate all that. And then at the end of the day, all those systems come back into the farm for whatever refueling or whatever they need to have done. So that idea of systems planning where you can move a planter from one field to the other without an operator, that still weighs off, I think. And there's there's still things with autonomous. It's the, the machine has to recognize what it sees in the field. So you draw a geofence around the field. So the tractor, say, doesn't wander out of the field. You go out there and you need to mark holes and dips and things that might get in the way that the say the tractor doesn't recognize yet and when the tractor gets to see gets to a point where it doesn't understand what's seeing it stops so then you have to say nope that's okay you can go over that log or whatever it is or you can go around that rock and there's there's a lot there there's a lot done it's really amazing deer has their autonomous tractor running out of their test farm in texas all by itself just That was one of the things they did at the CES. They had a big screen up there 
and they let people come and operate that tractor that was running in Austin. And so they had a cell phone set up so they could stop the tractor, start the tractor, and you could see all that. It was all live shot. So it was pretty cool. So it, it's there. I'm not saying it, it, but it's developing. You have to have a lot of confidence before you're putting your business on the line. Yeah, that's what they say. They say, once you get out of the cab, then what? They, they go, we need to convince the operator to walk away, not just stand alongside the fence and, and, and watch it. They need to have confidence. The technology has to be good enough where, quote unquote, the operator can walk away and, and go off and do other things. Because if he's just going to stand there and watch it, he might as well be in the cab. It doesn't really resolve anything then. One last question before I broaden things out a little bit was I was curious, we talked a little bit about pricing, especially for kind of the, some of the more service oriented pieces of new technology, but I was curious whether folks from Deer in particular comes to mind, but other folks as well talked about interest rates are higher probably right now than they've been in a long time. And interest rates, obviously a big part of the equation when thinking about upgrading equipment. Are people thinking about that? Is that a thing that equipment manufacturers are worried about? Are they thinking about maybe offering some other financing strategies to help people trade up if they need to right now? Yeah, I don't know. I could give you an I don't know, but I can tell you from, we see monthly tractor and combine sales reports and those numbers, they're not terrible, but they've gone, except for the smaller tractors, those numbers are terrible, the really small ones. But for your farm size equipment, They've been popping up and down all last year, and they ended the year on a downward trend, not a spiral, nothing horrible. Combine sales, my gosh, at the beginning of last year were 100% better than the year before. They were huge, 150% better. They ended up the year narrowly ahead. So I think that's a reflection of, it's a, I'm sure it's a reflection of price. I'm sure it's a reflection of interest rates. It's a reflection of farmers maybe have replaced all the equipment they wanted to replace or most of it. They go in stages. They'll wake up one morning and go, geez, my, my stuff's five, six years old. It's time to start replacing it. I don't know if interest rates alone are affecting it, but obviously they have some impact. I wanted to broaden it out to, you. obviously the Consumer Electronics Show is not exclusively or even mostly about agricultural technologies. It's about everything. You mentioned a couple examples at the top, but I'm curious whether in walking around the show, you saw anything that was like, well, that's not an agricultural tool, but wow, I think farmers could use that. I, drones come to mind. As, I bet there were a lot of drones there. That, drones, yeah. Yeah. So anything that you saw that you were like, that's super interesting. I bet a farmer could find a use for that, but wasn't necessarily ag equipment. I think all the cars, everywhere you go, there's another car and it's, it's the technology in it. And it struck me after a while, we, we talk about autonomous driving of cars, right? You can sit in the car and it, it, it takes you to where you want to go. You don't have to steer it or anything like that. But some of the technologies in there, you started thinking about cars as meeting places and stuff in terms of you can get three or four people together in a car and they can have a meeting and the car just goes down the road. It moves you along. There's just so many different um that glass technology is showing up in cars that I talked about with Bobcat. So cars you know, are I, interesting. Were there, did you see any trucks? Yeah. As one of the things I saw was a semi Peterbilt, the tractor part of it, and they've really redesigned it. It's a concept truck. It's very sleek and rounded. It almost looks, if anybody watches NASCAR, how low the cars are to the ground. This was, this truck was right on top of the ground. It can be raised and lowered. The the cab inside, you drive from the center of the cab instead of on either side of the cab. It's It has all sorts of autonomous features in it and technology to assist the driver, to assist the driving. It's not a vehicle that's uh, 
going to be driverless or anything like that. But they, they, what they really designed it for was better fuel efficiency. They called it freight ton efficiency, which means how much freight can you move? How many tons of freight can you move over how many miles? And they said the efficiency was improving like 130%. So that was their goal there. That was neat to see. But you mentioned that you did see drones there. Were there any interesting drones of a size or scale or doing something weird that you thought was interesting? No, I think they're just getting better and better. And of course, they're getting more and more expensive. I fly a little drone, just a little DJI drone that I use for work that was like 300 bucks. And I'm lusting after one that's $1,000 now, but it's probably not in the budget at the moment. But anyway, there's a lot of drones there that can do a lot of things. I think the images are getting clear, the ability to fly them. Those, if you're watching anything going on in, in Ukraine, those first-person drones where they can, they wear goggles to, to fly the drones and things, those are, that's pretty neat stuff. And that technology is just getting better and better all the time. But of course, they're getting more and more expensive too. So there's probably no $300 drones around anymore. Last question, I think for me is just this CES was just the beginning of a very busy season of travel and shows for you. Give us kind of the rundown of what we can expect, especially what readers can look out for on DTNPF.com for more equipment shows updates. Yep. Heading out to Kawasaki next in Phoenix, and they're having a new, they have a new vehicle that they haven't really announced yet. Um, we're going to get to see it out there and ride it a little bit. So that's always fun. They're a fun company to work with. They give us the vehicle and we can go out and run a course or whatever. So that's always good. Case IH is having an event in Florida where they're promising a new vehicle, probably a new piece of machinery, I'm sure. And that's in the first part of February. Then, of course, we've got the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. That'll be, there's always a lot going on there. And then after that, we have the Commodity Classic. And the I have not gone to the Commodity Classic in a long time. I, I When I used to write about crops and things, I was there always. But it has become quite a machinery and technology show. And it was important for us to be back there, to, to cover it from that angle. To read more of Dan's reporting on the 2024 Consumer Electronics Show and to stay up to date with all his farm equipment and technology reporting over the coming weeks and months, head over to DTNPF.com and subscribe to the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Dan Miller. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Susan Payne and Greg Hillier. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode is brought to you by DTN Haytimer. Hay and forage quality isn't just about yield. It also relies on the perfect weather window to ensure a good crop. Use DTN Haytimer, part of my DTN, to quickly assess risk by viewing maps specifically designed to show circumstances affecting hay quality. Pennsylvania producer David Graybill said, quote, other weather forecasts were not accurate enough. As DTN Haytimer shows, it takes the right combination of drying to preserve the crop. I would guess we lost three to four times the value in crops that it would cost us to keep our DTN subscription for the year. DTN Haytimer is part of the MyDTN platform. Visit MyDTN.com to start a free 14-day trial.